Recorded live at Toxin Tasting Studios, it's the Clerical Errors Podcast. The podcast that shows you what's behind the collar. Let's go. From the Talks and Tasting Studios, this is the Clerical Errors Podcast, the show that shows you what's behind the collar. That's right. After a couple of weeks off, uh, uh, Berg is back. Indeed. I can hear you all cheering in the background. Woohoo! <laughs> Especially Peter. Peter looks Peter looks overjoyed. We got to make this fast because uh, talk about news that bothers Berg. Uh, Berg, you have another meeting. <laughs> I do. Another one. <laughs> so, yeah. But I'm I'm starting in a new segment today. Uh, book club with Bullhagen. So I'm pretty excited about that. I am interested to see where it goes. Yeah, I mean, what kind of what kind of deep theological book I might have chosen? So, are you including audiobooks in this, or are these like no? Actually, a book with words. Okay, so. I I will be well because we all know uh, your affliction. <laughs> That's right. I'm and, honest about it. Right. You know. So, <laughs> I mean, yeah. I'll, like I said, I'll be interested to see where this all goes. <laughs> and uh, looks like you have a diet coke. I do. So here we go, and I I got a a Lecroy, uh, a citrus. Uh, what is what do you how do you pronounce that? You know French? No. Uh, Carisse limon. If if it's French, you've pronounced too many letters. Oh, yeah. I think you. I think the way you pronounce French is like somebody punches you in the face, and then you know, you just kind of like, yeah, for, lose the words for, out. First two letters are pronounced. Everything else is just. Sort of there. By the way, I told my eye doctor a joke, and I was shocked the eye doctor never heard it about the the Polish guy who goes uh, to the eye doctor. Okay. And the eye doctor asked him, "Can you read the bottom line?" And the the guys from the Polish guy said, "Read it. I know the guy." Ah. <laughs> ah. Because of Polish names, you know. Yep. <laughs> so uh, yeah, let me open up my Lecroy. Do you have anything there, Vicar? Just some soda. Some soda. Nothing too exciting. You're drinking it in a fancy cup, though. I will say that. Yeah, yeah, that wasn't that was in the co-op at the at the campus, and it's like that's that's a neat mug. I'm gonna have to use that. Yeah, you can find some. Well, you can find a lot of trash and a lot of treasures in some of these places. Yeah. By the way, that's a good a title for the episode, Peter. That's a neat mug. <laughs> so, so, uh, hey, uh, what are we preaching on? Well, we're doing uh, uh, Saint Mark. Do you remember what that passage is, Vicar? Yeah. Yeah, that'd be uh, Mark 16, 14 to 20. Yes. So, so we the... remember St. Mark by picking out a passage that he may or may not have written. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> Would you like to explain that a little bit what, to the listener, what we mean by that, the last part of Mark, Berg? Oh, I guess I have a different reading here for Mark, uh, Luke 10, Jesus sending out the 72. Oh. Hmm. Well, I got mine from the Inspired Service Builder. Well, you know, I'll bow, bow down to the Mighty Service Builder. <laughs> do, do we want to use the well, easier one or the harder one? I would, use, I, I would use the end of Mark. I mean, obviously, it's inspired. Anyone who says differently, um, yeah. It's, it is, it, it's based, people who reject the last part of Mark operate under the faulty assumption that uh, texts like Vaticanus and Sinaiticus who don't have the the longer ending, 
are quote-unquote neutral books and older books, so that way um, you can base more off of them. You guys know this, right? Yeah. Like with textual criticism. Yeah. And, okay. yeah. Well, well, Vicar, explain what textual criticism is, because there's a difference between textual criticism and historical criticism that uh, yeah. pastors will know, but those who are not. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It's, it's a complicated thing even sometimes for me to think about. It's trying to figure out the original text, the original words. Because and we don't actually have— Yeah, someone unfortunately did not save, save Paul's original letter to the church in Rome. And then, so we have basically like the photocopy of it, or at least part of it, somewhere, or pieces, copies of copies of right here, there, everywhere. And uh, the those who copied them, they weren't quite as accurate at copying the manuscripts as, for Sometimes. example, they were with the Old Testament. Yeah, I. But at the same time, out of tens of thousands of. Uh, um, yeah, uh, manuscripts. I mean, the the textual variations are pretty minor. Are very minor. It doesn't uh, really yeah. ever change. Yeah, my the my, meaning. My description probably isn't as generous as it could be. I'm just not sure how to. But one of the shorten one of the bigger enough. discussions behind this is the ending of Mark. Yeah, where in some of the earlier uh, copies of the of a text, uh, it's. They don't have that ending in, but but nonetheless, what would your you said your arguments were for keeping it in? So my arguments are that uh, um, there is an unreasonable bias against the Byzantine textual um, tradition. Mm-hmm. Um, Sinaiticus and Vaticanus were found in places with heretics. And people say that well, people say the language seems a little different uh, at the end of Mark, but people will say that. But I that's mean, what this, that's what they say with the with uh you know the JEDP theory, right? You know that um, this is different. Another argument is is that uh, all the church fathers. I mean, Irenaeus quotes the the last part of Mark. I mean, so you have not only other textual. Um, Thanks for this. And, and it's interesting because even, I think it's in Sinaiticus, there's actually a blank spot of where the longer ending of Mark should have been. And these people didn't waste any paper. I mean, in the ancient world, there was no punctuation and there was no spaces between the words. Right. That's not until the, the, the Middle Ages that uh, that actually gets done. And so it's weird that you would waste a whole section of paper in this way. Um, so I think there are very strong arguments um, for you almost have to have a presupposition beforehand in order to, you know, and I wonder if the whole project isn't just problematic to begin with, because it's like, okay, we're going to find the original autograph. Well, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, that's that's not quite how language works. Right. Um and the fact that the text that we, we have, that we'll be using, has one of the great texts for baptism that we use as Lutherans all the time. Right. So I just, I don't find a lot of these arguments that um, the last part of Mark, that it's not canonical, I don't find them compelling. I think you have to go in with a lot of uh Like, I, I know a commentary that just doesn't even use the ending. Uh, I know. I know. <laughs> So if if anyone's listening and they want to talk about that, 
please, where could they get a hold of us? Vicar? They, they could email us uh, feedback at clericalerrors.org. Because we might have made someone mad. Good. Oh, yeah. Someone probably got triggered for sure. So, yeah, uh, if you want to yell It's not a good time for triggering right now. It probably isn't. If emails, <laughs> yeah, if email's too slow for you, you can, tr- you can yell <laughs> your, at your, us. Your use of Facebook. the word triggered has me triggered. <laughs> You're welcome. Anyway, yeah. Uh, find, us, find us on facebook.com slash clerical errors podcast. And if you really want to be angry about it, you can tweet. You know, at, uh, you know, we're on Twitter, uh, clerical errors P. Against P. me, bro. <laughs> yeah, so. So we should actually talk about the text. Yeah. Vicar, what is the text? Okay. Uh, Mark 16, uh, 14 to 20. So this is literally the last, yeah, what, eight or so verses. This of is the, after, of the like, book. that beautiful ending on Easter, right? Where, mm-hmm. where the women. They leave and they don't say anything to anyone yeah, they because run, they were afraid. They run in fear. Yeah, that is an amazing ending to a gospel reading. <laughs> I will just right. I mean, I I wonder if maybe that's where the whole long ending, short ending thing is. It's it's like how you have editions with a book, and it's like okay, he ended here, and maybe like a year or so later, someone's like, you know, nah, you can the, tell uh, us a little more. The the and lectionary, so he still wrote more. The the lectionary doesn't really, it, it doesn't really crystallize like that until much later. So these other texts would have been floating around yeah. with the law. I mean, so and if you look at the Lutheran Missile Project, which is a great project, by the way. I mean, you look at all of the readings for every day for Easter. It is just magnificent. Those guys are doing amazing work. And if anyone on the podcast wants to go and look at their stuff, uh, I've used it for like Advent. Um, Where can they find it? I think it's the Lutheran Missile Project. Uh, if you Google that, you should be able to find it. Um, they're also on Facebook. Let's see here. Uh, I just have to pull it up here quick because we are in the dungeon again of the Toxin Tasting Studio. So the dungeon. What do you mean the dungeon? <laughs> the Cyclopean. I, I, I have to. I have to admit, I'm watching. I'm watching our producer Peter try to look for this, and he has Lutheran Missile Project, as in. <laughs> I don't know what you guys are talking about. Bombs, yeah, man. no, yeah, it's. <laughs> Missile, M-I-S-S-A-L. I thought I just... N- no E. The Lutheran Missile Project. Yeah, I just like this. Yeah. All right. Okay, so it's on. It's called the Lutheran Missile, M-I-S-S-A-L, on uh, on Facebook. It's uh, The site is lutheranmissile.home.blog. Okay. So, uh, Hannah, if you could put that on our Facebook page. <laughs> By the way, we got your email, but uh, we're still working through it. Yes. So so we'll get to it, Hannah. Yeah. So if you guys want to, you know. So we got it. Let's get back to the text. Right. We're back all over the, the place. The text. Yeah. Okay. Uh, sorry. <laughs> yeah. Verse 14. So afterward, he appeared to the 11 themselves as they were reclining at table, and he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. And he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, and whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe in my name that they will cast out demons, they will speak in new tongues, they will pick up serpents with their hands, and if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick, and they will recover. So then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and continued and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. 
Isn't that so Mark, though? Yeah. It's so Mark when he's like, you know, because every other gospel of Jesus is like, you know, fear not. Don't be afraid. <laughs> Don't you see that it's me? Mark doesn't have you time know? for that. And Mark's just like, he rebuked him. He's like, you guys are terrible. So, so Burke, if you were a gospel writer, which one would you be? Oh, man. I would probably be John. Okay. Keep going. Well, it's just visual. Okay. You know, there's more uh, talk about... Uh, it's got make, more of a heart. Make Vicar and Peter decide. I'll, what, I'll, uh, I, could see, I could see John being the sort that says, well, what do I mean by that? A whole lot. <laughs> I, I can see that. Which one would agree with themselves the most? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I can see, I can see that being John as well. I mean, how many times does he, you know, does he insert those little things in there about the disciple whom Jesus loved, especially at the end where there's the the race to the tomb. Did you see that Facebook thing where it's like, you know, John is bragging to Peter, "Yeah, I beat you, I beat you to the tomb." Well, no one will know. John whispers, "Everyone, will everyone will know." Will know. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> so so which which one am I? <laughs> All right, so uh, what I like about this text and the timing is it really gives you a chance to talk about all sorts of things. You can talk more about the resurrection. You can talk a little bit about the ascension. You can talk about him sending them out. You can talk about uh, why we don't handle snakes. <laughs> yeah, well, that's a big one. I mean, there are still snake handlers in the Appalachian Mountains eat to this day. So because, if Vicar, can you clarify my mind here just so I make sure? Does, does Jesus tell them to go out and handle snakes? Or does he say, go and... What, what exactly did Jesus say? I mean, in, in terms of the the, command. the instructions, the command, it, yeah, it's go into the world, proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Oh, okay. It's, yeah, there's nothing he, that says, go pick meant, up that snake over And whoever there. believes and is baptized shall be saved. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so really, the whole handling of snakes thing, that's not pr- necessarily the it proof. So- yeah, it sounds like it's part of a list of, hey, if this happens, this will happen. And I, I well, wonder if and, maybe this is a pre pre uh, like a preview to what happened to Paul on Malta. Yeah, I mean, you know, it is a validation of their message in a way that our message isn't validated. Uh, because if Bullhagen picked up a snake, he right. gets super bit. What do you mean? In the face. I, I carry around sick pythons wherever I go. <laughs> <laughs> Peter, insert a groan noise. <laughs> Anyways, so so this text gives you a chance to talk about all of those things. Talk about baptism, and uh, mm-hmm. and uh, a great way to summer. You know, continue talking about the resurrection and talk about the ascension and talk about, and talk about Mark. I mean, how often do we talk about Mark? Mm-hmm. Uh, often credited with uh, going to Egypt. Yep. You know, Mark John Mark. That's his name. Uh, he was kind of a pansy. Uh, Paul actually didn't have a lot of time for him. Because he didn't he didn't want to go back with him to the missionary trip. Yeah, and so this actually caused a huge rift in the church between uh, Paul and Barnabas. And so it's Barnabas that actually takes John Mark under his wing because Paul's like, I ain't, I ain't got time for that. Ain't nobody got time for that. <laughs> well, it's, but then at the end of Paul's life, yeah. he actually asks for John Mark. Yeah, it, it, so, is that, is so that there is a Philippians, change. or is it, I don't remember which epistle it is, where he's very specifically saying, you know, he's useful to me. Right. So so you're, what you're saying is, like, the relationship between Paul and Mark is kind of like a pastor-vicar relationship. 
a a pastor vicar relationship where the pastor doesn't have a lot of patience with the vicar. <laughs> Which I mean makes sense because there are guy like this is the beautiful thing about our conversion, right? Um God takes the natural qualities which we have, the natural virtues, and then he puts them to work for the kingdom. But it doesn't mean that our personalities or our uh, talents completely change once we're baptized. I mean, Paul was a zealous man before his conversion, and now mm-hmm. God is using that zeal for the kingdom. Peter, was, the, Peter the same way. He was kind of a hothead. Yeah, he was a hothead and very bold, mm-hmm. and God uses it now. I, it's funny because before their conversions— all of their natural qualities, while given to them by God, actually ended up opposing God because they didn't have faith. Mm-hmm. And this is the thing with Paul. Paul is very intellectual. Uh, he is very zealous, um, but that he doesn't have a lot of he doesn't have a lot of time for a a guy like John Mark because it's a betrayal. You know, and Barnabas, though, is much more, I, at least the picture that I get of him from Acts is he's very mellow. Right. Uh, very, you know, I uh, think his, what they named him Barnabas because it means like son of consolation. Right. And um, I, th- I thought I remember like poking around too. John Mark might have been related to him a little bit. It could have been. Because it sounded like the, the house that Peter goes to after he is miraculously saved from prison is the house that of John Mark's mother. Mm-hmm. But in, I think if I remember right in Acts it says it's like Barnabas's sister or sister-in-law. Right. So so he might have had a little extra compassion for the kid. Right. I mean, so you know, it's uh it's interesting how those and, things work. And out. there's a kind of a point that I want to make with that behind the collar because that, that's what we do well, right? And all the time. It, and that is uh, uh if I'm speaking to the the church member, the lay people, right? Cuz sometimes the complaint is made that, uh, oh, our pastor is stubborn or closed-minded or whatever, mm-hmm. okay? You just talked about all sorts of things that God used for good, right? Yep. So, so if your pastor seems sometimes stubborn on certain things, there's a way you can look at that and say, oh, he sticks to his guns, if he's stubborn on certain things, then you know what is he going to do when push t- comes to shove for you, do you remember? Right. You know, that means that he he will seek to be faithful for you even when it's hard. And so those same qualities that you think, oh, sometimes he's a little difficult to work with, those same qualities God uses for your own sake and your own protection. Because that happens a decent amount where people say, well, he just wants it this way or he's stubborn this way. Right. More often than not, other times we're, we're sinners and we get stubborn just over stupid stuff. I'm right. not going to deny that. But at the same time... There might actually be a reason why. And you should give him the benefit of the doubt. Right. Right. And then that's uh, that, that kind of issue actually comes up an awful lot in my discussion with pastors and with, with people in the congregations. Mm-hmm. But that, that's something he actually admires. It's kind of like um, when you're a parent of a stubborn child... At some times, that's actually helpful knowing that they won't get pushed around when they're, people are kind of asking them to do stupid stuff. Right. You just have to harness it for good. Right. <laughs> so, right. Peter, who is the stubborn child in your household? Oh, they all take after their mother. No comment. 
I live with a bunch of stiff-necked people my whole life. <laughs> so, so does that mean you're Moses my, instead of John? I love you, Julie, but you can be a little stubborn. And uh, the only one that really is easygoing like me is the youngest. But, but Peter can be a little bit. It depends on the issue. Right. You know, if you tell, if, if I remember once my mom says that you should do this, Peter go, might do, go out of his way to do. To do the opposite. <laughs> if, if he disagrees with something, then especially he's going to make a point of it. But that's neither here. Am I wrong, Pete? No, no. So. Yeah, they're important. Quali- you know, and that's the thing. Um, stubbornness, you know, what is often viewed as stubbornness is just this fortitude. Right, that mm-hmm. you're willing to stick with it, like you said. So, so, so when you preach on one of the uh, festival days, the apostles or the evangelists, what kind of things do you focus on? Uh, it just kind of depends. It kind of depends what the texts are. Um, it depends on well, like here with Mark, I might do a little bit more with Mark, but I, this this ending of of Mark's gospel is so rich that I mean, how can you not preach on baptism? Right. Yeah. How can you not? Or even just the the supernatural gifts, mm-hmm. because there are plenty of people out here who say that um, you have to speak in tongues in order to be saved. That's kind of a lot of the Pentecostal movement sort of things, you know. And and I mean, and it's interesting how now they'll they'll make the same charge to us. Well, they'll say they'll play up the the supernatural gifts and they'll downplay baptism. Right. They'll get really mad if you say baptism saves you. Mm-hmm. But right. then they'll say, well, you guys put all your chips in baptism, but doesn't it say this? But which one comes with the command of Christ? Right. You know? And that's the thing is, all of these supernatural gifts that are talked about, they come from the hands of the apostles, and there are no apostles anymore. And they all... Unless you're a Mormon and you think, like, you know, St. John was just kind of, like, hanging out. And there's a reason, too, because... They didn't have the New Testament scripture written out for them. Right. You know, they had to say the Holy Gospel according to me. <laughs> yeah. And here's a miracle to prove that right. it's true. Right. So, so uh, you know, we, we talked about this one with Pentecost. You know, if you're going to be Pentecostal, you do what Peter says, which is preach the word of God. Right. Be baptized. Be baptized. And that's how you receive the Holy Spirit. Oh. So. All right. Anything else to say on this? I got nothing. All right. Moving on. So we have a brand new segment. Throw everyone for a curve. All right. Let me get Definitely my... Definitely threw me for a curve. My, my notes out. Okay. All right. To show that, yes, I can read. <laughs> I never doubted you for a minute. <laughs> I have a new segment called Bullhagen's Book Club. Peter, play the intro. It's book time with Bullhagen. That's right. <laughs> so you're probably wondering what what uh, deep read did Bullhagen choose? So is this a book club? First, okay, I'm still trying to figure this out. So is this a book club of one? Well, I'm bringing you. I'm bringing the listener along. So, so are we supposed to like read this book after each episode? Or yeah, I think you know, if listener, if you want to get this uh, this uh, deep theological book, you can follow along. You can get this book. It's really easy to find. It's everywhere. Hannah, post it on the Facebook page, please. All, All right, right, wait. So now, do you want to just tell us, or can we guess what the book is? Uh, why don't you guess? Is it? 
And let's pre- preface this with, is it a uh, Christian book, like a theological book, or is this just, it is a book? Yeah. Does that answer your question? All right. I'm going to go with <laughs> Goodnight Moon. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to go with Chicka Chicka Boom Boom. Okay. Setting the, the bar pretty low. <laughs> so Vicar already knows. Yeah, you're, yeah you so, already told me. But All if right. he had said, he probably choose everybody poops going I, I by mean, what I'll, you guys are I'll talking. admit that, like the, the the way to do this as a gag segment would be just those little kid board books you know just read the Eric right. Carl list <laughs> and everything <laughs> Dr. Elephant Dr. Seuss maybe uh, we don't talk about him anymore <laughs> Bible 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 farm animal books <laughs> <laughs> hey Vicar what does an elephant sound like <laughs> <laughs> all right so you're all completely way off okay um, the name of this book, the author is uh, actually well-known. His name is Mike Lindell. Okay. Does that name ring a bell to you? Not off the top of my head, but I'm kind of tired, so. Oh, then you need one of his products. <laughs> uh, he is the, the CEO of- He wrote of- a book? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> is this the My, my, the my Pillow guy? guy? Okay. He's got an awesome mustache, I'm not going to lie. So, so the the, the but, name but of his on, on a scale of one to President Harrison, though. Oh, pre- pre- President Harrison can't even light a candle to like um, Sam Elliott's mustache. Yeah, but but he but he, Sam Elliott's not Lutheran. He could be. He could be, but that's why I went with, went with President Harrison because he's ours. Oh well, you know, I'm not partisan. I'm ecumenical when it comes to mustaches. Okay, and so if you, so one thing that first grabbed me about oh, I should do this book is the title. Mm-hmm. Okay, do you know what the title of the book is? What's that? It's What Are the Odds from Crack Addict to CEO? Wow. Okay. So that grabbed me. I believe that. And uh, and uh, he's going to talk. I haven't gotten to that yet. But he started to introduce a topic about how this changed. Right now we're still like, I liked, I like cocaine a lot. That's where I'm at right now. <laughs> Did you watch? So, are you reading this with like Scarface in the background? <laughs> it's, Side note: This dude's Wikipedia page is a trip, a trip and a half. Yeah, but Holy Wikipedia cow. Wikipedia pages about current living people tend to be suspect. And he's he's gone through a little rough time. He's kind of been through the the cancel grinder a little bit. Yeah. Peter, yeah. You, you, what 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 is jumping out at you? Okay, so just the the top summary for this guy is this is Michael from the Lindell, inspired uh, Wikipedia page, yes. Also known as quote my, the My Pillow guy, <laughs> that's like his alias apparently, is an American businessman and the CEO of My Pillow Inc., a company he founded in 2009. Lindell is a prominent supporter of and advisor to former U.S. President Donald Trump, which is something I didn't know. Um, yeah, but there's no. There's no footnote quote to that, so... Interesting. Um, he has, without evidence, promoted the toxic plant e- extract uh, Oledrin, or Leandrin, something like that, as a COVID-19 cure, and has supported attempts to overturn the 2020 U.S. presidential okay. election. So, first of all, Wikipedia, come on. I mean, really. I mean, how can the guy's alias be the My Pillow guy? I mean, he's the my pillow guy. I mean, yeah. that's. I where, mean, I to mean, be fair, he said 
Mike Landell, and you said, "Oh, is that the Mike? Is that the My Pillow guy?" <laughs> That's literally yeah. Peter. Play that back. <laughs> is this the My, my the My Pillow guy? guy? Okay. Yep. Yeah, that's what he said. <laughs> so, you know, so as I, I read that, I looked at my, I like, you know what? I might identify with this guy, you know? He's probably a little outside of the box thinker, you know? Now, I can't say publicly that I've had a cocaine problem. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but, and he's from, you know, I figured he's been... Through kind of a people trying to cancel him, he's got a interesting perspective that I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Vicar, you look confused. No, just there were a few different jokes there that could have been jumped on really easily, and I decided not to. Ah, uh, <laughs> that was smart. Hopefully, I can sniff those out later. You, <laughs> <laughs> you still have to pass. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm really good with lines right now. <laughs> We, we, we literally find out who my successor is in a day. Right. He's making cocaine jokes. <laughs> All He's right. spouting out these lines, man. <laughs> ah. Somebody got my joke. No, I, I got no, it. We, I got it. Okay. We got it. We got it. All right. So uh, the first chapter, uh, I'll start with the first chapter because that's a prologue and I didn't read it. <laughs> so first of all, do you do you so this is like an autobiography, right? Yes. Okay. Yes. Do you like autobiographies? Is that kind of um I like Is ours. this the first one you've read? No, I bet he's read the Schwarzenegger one. Oh yeah. Oh, you're probably right. See, that's like you'll have to do that one next. So so uh the first part of the book is book 1, Cocaine, Minnesota, USA. Um and the, He's from Minnesota? Yes. Really? Yes. Wow. Um, have you ever been to Schmidty's Tavern in uh, Victoria, Minnesota? No, I have not. Oh, they've got a great male bathroom stall. <laughs> <laughs> Where is Victoria, Minnesota? It's in Minnesota. <laughs> right. <laughs> so so uh, he does use... Uh, okay, being an autobiography, it's not always really believable. Okay. okay. All right. So, for example, um, I imagine you being from Minnesota, you've been to a lot of bars in Minnesota or a decent amount. I mean, yeah, a little, I guess. I mean, not like, I guess, not like Wisconsin where the family goes to the bar every Friday night. Right. I mean, you know, we didn't do that too terrible much, but yeah. But uh, it's so cheap. It's cheaper to buy a beer and drink at home, but. <laughs> yeah. But it has, it has kind of a, it reads like a very. A down home, like he creates very interesting, very Garrison Keeler esque. Yeah, right? yeah. So, so uh, why don't I read a, a segment just to, uh, uh, just to kind of give an idea? So he's talking about the regulars that go to this bar that he owns. Here he's a bartender. Mm-hmm. He says uh, most of the regulars had grown up together in Victoria: Skelly, Petey, Pokey, Flyman, Mohawk, Sibby. <laughs> there was Toad and Tom too. Tom's older brother, Tony's cousin, uh, uh, older cousin Tony. They came from a good German stock with a name like Schmieg, Vogel, Schrempf, Noderman, and Schneider, along with the Dietzlimans. So he's talking about this uh, bar, but it, it's a crazy atmosphere where, you know, they dance on the bar and... This is like a little Coyote Ugly then. Right. Which... Man, this, this reads like the, uh, 
those those verses at the beginning of the uh, where they're talking about Jesus Jesus's lineage. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Just so you know, all the people are in the in the bar. I'll let you know one by one. So each chapter, this this first the first chapter. I'm not going to mm-hmm. go through. Maybe two or three chapters here. So the first chapter uh, discusses uh, how he uh, owns this bar, uh, Schmitty's, mm-hmm. and uh, and how he likes the, the family atmosphere. But the thing is, I can't imagine. Okay, imagine you're in a town of he's. It's 2, about ten thousand people. Right. Yeah. He says at this time it was about two thousand. Must have grown quite a bit. Oh wow. Um, and uh, but he t- so I imagine in a town that size in Minnesota. Do you really have bars where people are like throwing chairs and dancing on tables and I've everyone never, breaks out in songs, singing Elvis songs? I've never seen it. It seems like Minnesota people are a little more stoic than that. I could be at wrong. At least from where I'm at in Minnesota, but you know. And so so the first the first chapter kind of paints the scene of this bar that he owns. The next chapter, chapter two, talks about his childhood, how all of a sudden he was taken away from his home, and uh, he moved to Chaska, is that right, Minnesota, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, into a trailer park. And the way he describes his kind of growing up there is uh, uh, he describes it kind of like Sandlot, where kids are always out. And he talks about himself being a daredevil, trying to get people's attention, jumping out of a school bus, uh, and doing like magic shows for everybody. But it's all really a cry for help. Mm-hmm. All right, and uh, he goes kind of from from that discussion then to uh, the chapter three. Grab my title. The name of the chapter three is "Lots of and Lots of Cocaine." Okay, I that wonder what that blows. one's going to be about. Well, I, I can uh, I can read a little excerpt. Um, uh, where was that? So he talks about how he's really working hard at. A building up. He's got softball leagues going so that people will play softball and then need a place to, to have a beer when they're done. And uh, um, so it says, I was having the time of my life. I had my own business. I loved working. So it didn't matter if I worked 12, 15, 20 hours a day. It was easy for me to do that because of my good friend, cocaine. I snorted lots and lots of cocaine. It seemed like everybody I knew was doing coke although that included surprisingly few of the regulars. In fact, many of the regulars didn't even know I was a cocaine addict. Those who did, didn't care. So so this is where he uh, talks about... Uh, and then the thing is, then, he just leaves it there. Like, I snorted a lot of cocaine. And then he does, let me tell you about my life as a teenager. <laughs> so <laughs> so uh, he's really... It's like he's switching... Television channels way too quickly. We've gone from Cheers to Sandlot to Scarface. Where are we going next? Right. Yeah. And then Scarface in the middle of the movie to commercial Sandlot break. too. Yeah. <laughs> it's like what? Come on. So, so you're but beginning wait, to more. see why I identify with them. <laughs> it's like a cliffhanger at the end of a season, you know? Right. It's, it's like to... a flash forward, except it's still all in the past, and it's in the middle, interrupting another flashback. So I think one of our, our campaigns... Are we sure that cocaine was the only drug he did? I don't know. I mean, you, t- you talk about flashbacks, you know. Uh, yeah, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm, like that... Yeah, some that initials here. Many people know he's doing cocaine at the time. 
Hmm. But also that it seems like not that many people know that he's doing it. But like many do, though, even though they don't. So so kids don't do drugs. <laughs> so then I, I uh, started getting to chapter four where he starts to get into kind of his religious understanding. And uh, so what is he? I haven't gotten that far. Okay. I think he identifies as male. Yes. Thank you. He identifies as the my pillow guy. Right. Um so so he talks about you know as a child and as a teenager and going he wondered about when I wonder when space ends. Nice. I yeah. You know, deep questions that I uh, identify with. So so listener um if you want to take this journey with me on our book club uh the name of the book is uh I forgot. <laughs> What are the odds? You know what? It's it's fine. It's fine that you forgot. I think we can leave it there because you're encouraging people to buy this garbage, and I don't want that. <laughs> it might be at the public library where it's free. Yeah. Feel free to pick it up at the library, but like... Hey, you know what? The, the free exchange of ideas is taking quite a hit. If you want to read this book, I trust You can find listeners. a way. You can find a way to <laughs> get the book. We, we won't. Or, we won't. We so won't you're link, not. So yeah. you're not really impressed yet. It, uh, I'm not. Either. No. I. Uh, it's important for me to just not be giving this guy money for what is a clearly him talking to his iPhone Siri and just rambling on for like four hours about his life, and then but like I, I, I don't, forgot I, what he was doing. We don't know anybody else through. who does that, right? <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, listen. It kept my attention. All right. Don't you guys want to know how we went from crack addict to CEO? In a kind of morbid curiosity way, sure. Mm-hmm. My question is, is you know, what kind of drug, you know, drug stupor was he in when he created my pillow? Like, I can just like, like, guys, <laughs> here's a great idea. <laughs> yeah, he, he wakes up with white powder all over his face. Oh, <laughs> this is really soft. What if, we, what if we put a bunch of foam in a bag and call it my pillow? <laughs> That that's still probably better planning and preparation than the attempted. Hey, no, listen. Um, hey, I was trying competitor. to be nice. I'm getting it because you heard that there's like a competitor to his company now, right? No. Oh yeah, the leftist pillow? one. Yeah, right? yeah. There's a leftist. Yeah. Everybody's so, pillow. So, so clearly, what whatever whatever process he went through <laughs> to get to making my pillow, it's still better thought out than that. How yeah, am I hope I they edit this. I don't know. Carefully, <laughs> just play it fast. It's great talk. Yeah. Where else are they going to get this, Peter? It's real talk. It's bad. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so... But bear in mind, we're only at the cocaine-y part. (laughs) It's going to get better. It gets better than cocaine? Sign me up. (laughs) All right, so we should probably... uh, All right, we should probably do something else. Yeah. But thank you. It's, uh, yeah. You know what? I, I I think... By the way, one thing we have to be sure we don't want the My Pillow Army to come after us. That's true. Because people are pretty dedicated to that pillow. Mm-hmm. You're, you're worried that they'll like pummel you with them, right? I think it'll be a huge pillow fight. <laughs> Anyways, and we we need as as a country we need to heal. So, so um, which reminds me, I think one the book would make a great movie. It'd jump around a bit. Yeah. A lot of flashbacks, but 
you have a, a segment that you've been doing as well, uh, <laughs> which is book-related. Right. So uh, let's move on then to uh, The Book Was Better. Uh, Peter, play the intro. Something that Bullhagen would never say because he never actually reads books. Nah, the book was better. It's time for The Book Was Better. Poor Bullhagen. Um, so, uh, I did not... Well, I read another... I read something a little similar. Uh, <laughs> I actually read The Godfather again. Okay. Uh, oh, cocaine Which was a, a book... Well, no, well, this is this was the big deal, is, you know, they didn't actually want to get into drugs, right? And that's why... Okay. Uh, the movie is great. I mean, the movie comes close to the book. Does it? It really does. It's amazing. But the book really is better. And uh, I wanted to maybe read a little bit here um, from this because uh, uh, about because there's so much you can talk about with The Godfather. You can talk about The Fourth Commandment. You can talk about um, all of these different things, right? But I wanted to talk about Omerta today, uh, The Law of Silence. Okay. Okay. So here's, uh, here's something from the book. Omerta became the religion of the people. A woman whose husband had been, has been murder, w- murdered would not tell the police the name of her husband's murderer, not even of her child's murderer, her daughter's raper. Justice had never been forthcoming from the authorities, and so the people had always gone to the Robin Hood Mafia. And to some extent, the Mafia still fulfilled this role. People turned to their local capo mafioso for help in every emergency. He was their social worker, their district captain, ready with a basket of food and a job, their protector. So, I mean... It's interesting here, right? Because we're seeing a lot of this stuff. First, we could talk about silence, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and there are plenty of uh, Bible passages that talk about silence, like, you know, be still and know that I am God and the like, right? But how is the Bible's definition of silence and being still different from this law of omerta? Um, here, you see just this kind of worldly silence of people not trusting in a vengeful God— to take, mm-hmm. you know, to, to take justice for them. But they're silent in order to get revenge later. Like, it's mm-hmm. it's because they're silent because they know that they're not going to get any justice, either from the corrupt government that's over them, uh, and oftentimes even from the mafia itself. As opposed to biblical science, silence being, one, either submissive in a way. Right. You know, for example... we. On uh, when we talk about the lamb, like a lamb is silent on the way. Yeah, before his shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Right, that even though Jesus underwent the grossest um, misappropriation of justice ever, because he was perfect, uh, he didn't open his mouth, and it's not to get revenge later, but it is for the salvation of mankind. And so you, you, uh, you contrast the silence of Jesus with the silence of these people. Uh, and they're completely different. One, because they lack faith. Uh, the other, uh, because their vengeance is not—they don't, as the text from last Sunday said, they don't trust themselves to the one who judges righteously, but they trust themselves with this sort of mafia, mm-hmm. right? This sort of Robin Hood group. And this can get us even into what's kind of been going on in our society today, Right. When this book was written in 1969, there were a lot of things going on, wasn't there? Right. You know, we put a man on the moon, but we were also in the middle of the Vietnam War. Um, 
we begin to see sort of these cracks in uh, authority. Uh, people don't trust the authorities or the governments or the police like what they what they once had. And I would say even today, our uh, confidence in our institutions is at an all time low. Right. Um, the well, we were just talking about the my pillow guy. Um, you know who is you know as the Wikipedia page so uh, on Eighth Commandmently said. Right, that he's trying to overthrow the right. 2020 election. Um, but the very fact that people are questioning the legitimacy of our elections um, and, and and the defund the police, these sort of uh, self-regulating policing groups, right? I mean, this is all very mafia-esque. It is. Which is really a, a fascinating so, thing. So as the day we're recording this is a, the day after the... The uh, set, the conviction of the Chauvin, right? Is that how you pronounce his name? I think so. Yeah. And uh, you know what? What I don't understand is just the glee that people have of that conviction. I, I don't understand that. Yeah, I because it's one. It's just it's a sad situation. The other thing that really bothers me about all that is you know we have this these passages right? Judge not lest ye be judged, and those text should be used in these situations that you and I have not been given the right to judge a jury has right and and, and, and pro- people protesting so they get a certain outcome right that's not which seems like it's just mob rule it's just a bad way to go um so because that, that put I, I imagine that puts the jury in a, a tough spot right I mean and the thing is is how can you ever really trust that that jury was wasn't intimidated by the mob you can't you can't do that you know i mean you know when you've got people outside who are who would who would kill you who if they found out where you lived they would probably burn down your house yeah i mean that's not far from us and i'd be interested to know what because hannah lives up that direction right more. What, what her reaction is to someone who's a little closer to it. but So anyway, I mean, it is interesting that when authority seems to fail or when it seems corrupt, um, people ha- lose this sort of sense of the distinction between office and person. Because what made the Godfather what he is? It's his personality. He, the book talks again and again about a man of forceful personality and a dominating will, and he has this intimate connection with all these different people who uh, owe him favors. And, and and what I find interesting about that whole the the whole genre that you're talking about, the way there's this balance between, uh, in a sense, a code of honor and lawlessness at the same time. Yeah. Well, and it's two parallel societies, mm-hmm. uh, which is interesting even— and we can talk about this from the context of the church, too. Like, eventually, the church is going to have to start making its own parallel institutions. And we already have, in some cases, like parochial schools and the like. Um, but Hosp- it, hospitals will Hospitals, one. you know. But the thing is, is as society does become more decadent and more anti-Christian, you know, what does that parallel society look like? Because I would say that the laws that Christians follow— Mm-hmm. Um, are very different from the laws of society, right? Uh, in many, many ways. Um, so, so which is an interesting thing to think about. 
You know, we're so, kind of like the anti-mafia. So let's uh, we talked about kind of the judgment part of this. How how is Christ the judge different? Well, where judges fail because they can't see into the heart, and you have to go on evidence, right? You have to go on evidence, uh, and this is the thing with our our legal system that really frustrates people who are hungry for justice. Our justice system is very frustrating to them because it would rather let a guilty man go than punish an innocent man. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is what our justice system is built on. And, and and it's doing a lot of judgment, trying to look into his heart. Right. And basing a lot of judgments on that. Do we really know? And, and that's the thing, is that... Uh, we don't know, but Jesus does. Jesus sees the heart, right? He is the one uh, who uncovers all the secrets. Um, and this is why uh, the Bible does make a distinction between crime and sin. Mm-hmm. So it's a crime to kill your neighbor. It's a crime, uh, you know, to do these very flagrant things. But what does Jesus say? It's a sin in your heart. It's a sin if you brother. call your... Uh, your neighbor fool, right? Mm-hmm. And it sends you to hell, right? Um, so that's so that's the thing is that oftentimes people are we get dull very easily, spiritually dull, and so we're like, well, you know, I may not be perfect, but at least I'm not like these people who commit crimes. But Jesus condemns all of it. He's like, yeah, the one who the man the one who says Reka to his neighbor, uh, he he is answerable to the Sanhedrin. That's a crime. But he who says you fool is in danger of hellfire, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so this is why even as Christians, um, we do make these distinctions between crimes and sin. And the thing is, is that society is trying to wipe out the distinction between crime and sin. Uh, only they redefine sin as whatever it is they right. don't like. And so if you think this way, you'll have to go to a... You know, you're guilty. Right. Right? Um, or if we think you're thinking that way. You're guilty. And you'll be, what is it called, doxxed or mm-hmm. uh, canceled yeah. or whatever. So, yeah. yeah. All right. Well, a very uh, schizophrenic show today. <laughs> Peter's got a lot of editing to do. And now for something <laughs> completely different. <laughs> All right. So thank you for joining us. Uh, if you have any questions, which I'm sure you'll have a lot of in this episode, <laughs> uh, go back and listen to what Vicar said about emails and, you know, face space and all that kind of stuff. Thank you for listening. I'm Bullhagen. I'm Berg. And I'm Vicar. And may your pillow be soft. Thank you for joining us. This podcast is available on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Questions, thoughts, concerns? You can contact us on Facebook at facebook.com slash podcast, on Twitter at clericalheirsp for podcast, or email us at feedback at clericalheirs.org. Thanks for listening to Clerical Heirs. See you next time.